Well, good evening. Uh, it's a real pleasure uh, to be with you guys this morning, uh, this evening. Cheers, I can't get out of this morning, this evening. Um, it's a great pleasure uh, to be here tonight and to be opening up God's Word with you. But I must admit, as I was given the topic of wealth, I thought, wow, what have I got myself into for tonight? Um, is there a topic in our world which generates more and more varied advice about uh, on than the idea of money and wealth. Um, so I thought I, I set myself the task that I needed to go and find out what the world thinks about wealth. So where do you go? I went to the internet. What better place to find out good advice than the internet? Let me tell you, this is what I found from my study. Uh, I was encouraged to invest in the Australian dollar. Because apparently our economy and our dollar are both hotting up at the moment. You know, the problem was, I then went on to read, just a couple of articles later, that actually the dollar is set to fall in coming weeks. So I got a bit confused. I thought, well, maybe I need to get into property. Uh, I was encouraged by one report that said solid growth was expected in the property market. Only then to read a Westpac report that said the, op- the outlook for the Australian property market wasn't as optimistic as it had been. So I kept looking and I came across this thing called FIRE. Finan- financial Independence Retire Early. I thought, oh, that sounds awesome. Uh, I learned all I needed to do was I need to minimise my expenses. Sounds good. Need to live a simple life. Then I need to work out how much I need to live on. And then I times this by 25 times, and then I get my figure of how much I need to earn before I can retire. So I read a bit about it, and I discovered that all these stories of these people that had retired by the age of 30, and I felt totally depressed because I felt like I'd totally missed the boat on that one. So I turned to superannuation. We had some advice about how not to get ripped off by my super fund, as is the habit at the moment, uh, only to read that the very concept of retirement may soon be extinct and I'll be working forever. I felt, ah, what am I supposed to do with all this advice? What are we supposed to, how are we supposed to learn about money when we're bombarded by so many different messages? And this is a huge issue for all of us, isn't it? Everyone faces pressure when it comes to money. Either it may be that you're just struggling to pay those weekly bills. It may be that your credit card debt is increasing. Or it may just be that I work hard for my money. How am I best going to use it? Now, me giving you financial advice is actually probably as helpful as me giving you advice about pregnancy or childbirth. Yes, it may be entertaining, but it's very unlikely to be helpful to you. But you know, the great thing is that in the Bible and in Proverbs, we're going to get a glimpse into God's perspective on wealth and money. Proverbs and the wisdom literature help us develop a framework that's going to help us live and think well about money. So before we get stuck into looking at God's word, How about we pray together? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way that you've designed the world. We thank you that you've designed it in an orderly way that we can learn from. And not only that, Lord, we thank you that 
You've revealed yourself to us in the Bible. And you revealed your plan for our world, your plan for our lives. Father, as we look at your word this morning, we pray that you would give us insight into the topic of wealth and money so that we would learn to live well with the things that you have given us. Well, as we look at the topic of wealth throughout Proverbs, I just want to look at three themes that come out um, as we throughout the book of Proverbs. As you know, Proverbs is a book which is just really scattered. Uh, and often the best approach is to try and pull all those Proverbs together that talk on one topic and then examine them. So I want to talk about three principles, three themes that come out about wealth in Proverbs. The first one we're going to see is that wisdom and diligence or hard work leads to wealth. Let me read to you a couple of different Proverbs. Firstly, Proverbs Chapter 10, verse 4, says, Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. And then Proverbs, chapter 8, verse 17, which we had read. This is actually wisdom personified speaking to us. It says, I love those who love me, and those who seek me find me. With me are riches and honour, enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice, bestowing a rich inheritance on those who love me and making their treasuries full. Now, throughout the Proverbs, there's this principle that if you work hard and you use wisdom well, then you will tend to accumulate wealth. Now, the first aspect of this is, is pretty straightforward, isn't it? The working hard bit. You know, it's, it's pretty obvious as you look at the world around us, if you do the hours, if you put the hard work in, you're likely to get rewarded for that. Whereas if you sit at home, on the couch, watching the TV, you're likely to do pretty poorly and, not, and be pretty poor. Um, so that bit's easy. But I think it's the second aspect of uh, this theme, which is much more challenging. What does it mean to think wisely about our money and possessions. And the challenge is this. There's two aspects to wisdom. Firstly, there's the way that God has ordered our world to work. We often think of these as almost like the rules of nature or the way that our societies function. God has made the world in a rational and an ordered way. And we're actually encouraged to seek and observe these patterns so that we can live according to them. That's why people go to university. They study things like finance and economics so that they can get good at this stuff. But the second aspect of wisdom is God's revealed law to us. These are the laws that God gave his people Israel. And these laws are what, what it means, oh sorry, these laws govern what it means to live in God's world in relationship with him and with him as our king. Now, when we think about money and the way the world is ordered, there are a lot of things we can do to be shrewd with money, to learn from the world. We can do things like um, avoid paying full price for things, buy things on sale if they're on sale, avoid impulse buying, tear up that credit card, making and sticking to a budget, take your lunch to work, minimise eating out. There's heaps of things. And I think Proverbs encourage us to use this type of wisdom in order to use our money well. 
But, you know, it's crucial in doing this that we don't break God's revealed laws. For example, God tells us it's not okay to steal. So, therefore, it's actually unwise to cheat on our taxes. If you're a business owner, it's unwise to delay paying that invoice. It's unwise as an employer to not pay your employees award wages. And as an employee, it's unwise to use your company's resources for your own gain. God also tells us something like, things like, it's not okay, um, so it's not okay to lie. So, say you're a real estate agent, it's not okay, it's unwise to misrepresent that house you're trying to sell. As an employee, it's unwise to lie on your timesheet. As a tradie, it's unwise to cut those corners in order to get that job done more quickly. Yep, these things will probably help you make a quick buck. Um, but the problem is they're working against God's design in our world and the things that he's actually revealed to us. And in the end, they're going to come back and bite us at some time. Now, there are constant temptations in our world to embrace the way the world works or embrace this worldly wisdom but forget God's revealed laws. So we need to remember that when it comes to considering wisdom, God's revealed way of life should always stand above the wisdom we see in the world. And that's because even though God has created the world in a logical and ordered way, the world has actually been corrupted by sin. And the result of that is those worldly principles are used in a self-serving manner. The result is that people use wealth for themselves, for their own benefit, rather than to serve God and to glorify him. And I think this is what it means in Proverbs when it's talking about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. It's meaning that the fear of the Lord is actually what um, the perspective by which we could, should see and interpret all of those things that happens around us in the world. And as we think about wisdom, hard work, and that probability of resulting wealth, it's actually crucial to remember that the observations made in Proverbs are probabilities and not promises. We've actually heard this a few times uh, throughout the series in Proverbs. Proverbs is teaching that if you work hard and are wise with your money, you're more likely than not to accumulate wealth than if you are frivolous and foolish with your money. And in that situation, you're more likely to get into debt um, and become poor. You see, our understanding of money can become quite dangerous if this principle is not maintained. See, if Proverbs are taken as promises rather than probabilities then there's two dangers, I think, that we face. The first danger is that it encourages greed and self-centeredness. We, we come with this attitude that God is there for my benefit. He's there to bless me with material possessions. He's there to make me rich. And I think you see that in things like the prosperity gospel, but it actually distorts the whole Bible. It encourages us to be focused on ourselves rather than focused on God and his glory. But the second danger is that if that wealth that we pursue is not um, realized, it can lead to despair 
and a loss of faith. See, if my understanding of God says that God will make me rich if I trust in him, and then what actually happens, I continue to struggle financially, then the result will most likely be that I tend to question either my faith or the very goodness of God. And in thinking about this, it's actually really helpful to think that, to realise that the book of Proverbs is not written in isolation. When we're thinking about the wisdom literature, there's actually two other really strong voices that want to talk about this thing. The books of Job and the book of Ecclesiastes provide a very dissenting voice to the view that we get in Proverbs. They want to yell at us, really, that, yes, generally, if you work hard, that you'll be successful and you'll accumulate wealth. But they also want to say that at other times, chance, the very nature of time and death will intervene and take all those things away from the hardworking and the wise. But you see, if we see Proverbs as helpful probabilities as they are, then we're actually able to read them in context we're able to take that helpful advice from them and to continue to trust in the God who is with us through both the good times and the hard times. See, God has given us money for our, our benefit. And in regards to money, Proverbs is teaching us very simply, don't be lazy with it, don't be dumb about it. Um, can I encourage you that if this is an area that you continue to struggle with, Take the tools to get skilled up in it. See, the problem is, if you're not skilled in it, then the result of that is going to be anxiety about money. And if you're thinking about money all the time because you're worried about it, then the risk is that that's the, the same danger as pursuing money. It's consuming you in the same way that an endless pursuit of wealth is. Um, I think the, the course which Pearl and Angelo are running is the perfect example of how to actually get skilled up in, in this area. If you're struggling financially, take the time, invest in, in, in such a course so that you actually can learn how to save money for the purposes of being generous and, and being able to spend your money on, on, on God and good things in our world. So that's the first theme that we've seen. Um, the second thing we see is that Wealth does not endure. Let me read to you a couple of Proverbs. Firstly, from 11, chapter 11, verse 4. Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. And from chapter 23, verses 4 and 5, it says, Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone. For surely they will surely sprout wings and fly off like an eagle. You see, the truth that wealth does not endure is a principle that I think almost everyone agrees with theoretically. Everyone will tell you that you can't take it with you when you die. However, in practice, the accumulation of wealth, especially in Australia, has its hook so deep within us that our behaviour actually betrays our belief in this truth. Why is it that we work so hard we strive and we struggle all our lives, often to say for a few years at the end of our lives, where sometimes we have no control over 
how we spend our money or what happens to our wealth when we die. Now, I want to tell you a story about a guy I knew from my last church uh, in Sydney. Uh, Vince was a business owner uh, who'd spent the first part of his life working really hard to build up uh, a very successful and profitable business uh, manufacturing camper vans. Uh, he had a, a very successful business, nice home, all that sort of stuff, was seen as really successful. Fortunately, in the late 80s, there was a pilot strike um, which absolutely decimated the tourist industry. As a result, uh, the demand for camper vans from the rental agencies plummeted and Vince's company uh, saw the debt levels of his company rise unexpectedly and his assets fall and all of a sudden it was looking really, really grim for him. Now, the other complicating factor about Vince is in the year prior uh, to this happening, he'd become a Christian. Uh, so he was faced with this very difficult test of faith. Um, did he really trust that God was in control of all things? He had a decision to make. Should he scheme and strip its business of all its assets so that his family would be protected for the future? Or should he act openly and with integrity and cooperate with the administrators of his business? You know what? He chose to act with integrity. Took the keys for his own house, handed them into the bank and was totally transparent uh, in all his dealings. The result was he lost everything. Uh, but amazingly, avoided bankruptcy. He went from living in a big house in a nice suburb to living in a small apartment with his wife and three teenage children. Now, I met Vince a number of years later than this, and if you asked him whether he regretted any of his decisions around that time in his life, he would say, no way. Uh, he actually looks back at the years following that collapse of his business as the best years of his life. Uh, and he thinks that that practical trust in God had a huge impact on his family and on his children, all of whom went on to become involved in full-time ministry and really committed Christians. Um, I think this is what it means to live in the light that wealth does not endure uh, and it's, our ability to enjoy it is not guaranteed. So then, how should we live? Well, I think Proverbs wants to encourage us in the light of this to choose moderation. And I think these verses from chapter 30 that we had read before are probably the, the best verses in the whole book of Proverbs on wealth. Let me read them to you again. It says, Two things I ask you, Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. So the writer of the Proverbs understands the dangers of extremes when it comes to money. He understands that a life of poverty can lead you to question God's goodness and tempt you, tempt you to disobey him just in order to survive. But on the flip side to that, 
a life of wealth can lead to an attitude of self-sufficiency. And isn't this one of our greatest challenges in Australia? Our accumulation of money and possessions so often leads to an attitude that I'm in control of my future. It's my hard work and wise investing that has set me up with a secure future. I don't need God. You know, I think it's really helpful to sit down and work out what is our daily bread. That is, what actually do we need in order to live a life of contentment? And once we've worked that out, to actually structure our lives so that our work, our house, our family life can all fit around that and we can be freed to serve God in all different parts of our life. The danger of not doing this is as we get older, our income tends to increase. And if we're not careful, our standard of living just keeps going up and up and up. Uh, And our expectations keep getting higher as we pursue the next promotion, the next wage rise, the better car, the better house, the new home renovations, the overseas holiday. The the list is endless. Gradually, our lives can become focused on the accumulation of wealth rather than of God. So, the third and final theme that we see in the book of Proverbs... Proverbs wants to encourage us to choose righteousness over wealth. Another way of putting this is really don't let money become your idol. Uh, Let me read to you from Proverbs 22, verses 1 to 4. A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. The prudent see danger and take refuge but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. Humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honour and life. See, Proverbs tells us that there's something better than the accumulation of wealth. And that's actually being right with God. Living in relationship with the God of the universe is to be preferred over the pursuit of wealth. See, a good name is what someone achieves when they live a life of honesty and integrity. And in the context of Proverbs, it's achieved through living life the way God has designed it and according to his ways. That is, living a righteous life. It's a life characterised by God is the maker of both the rich and the poor. It's a life that's characterised by humility and it's characterised by the fear of the Lord. God's given us money and possessions to use and enjoy. But there's an extreme danger in putting money in pursuit of it above our love and pursuit of God. And this is really what the heart of idolatry is. It's taking something good that God has given us and pursuing it rather than God. That's also what greed is, my friends. Um, Tim Keller, the American author, has a, has a really helpful test to, that we can ask ourselves to help us think about whether we're allowing money to become an idol for ourselves. He asks three questions. Do you love money? Do you trust in money? And do you obey money? Firstly, do you love money? Do you spend more time thinking about your next purchase how to get your next promotion, planning your next holiday, laying awake 
stressing about more money than you do time desiring God? Secondly, do you trust in money? Is money and the protection of it your actual main source of security in life? Or do you, are you going to trust in God and his faithfulness to protect you into the future? And finally, do you obey money? Are the majority of your decisions in life based around how to make and keep more money? See, Jesus explains this principle much better than I could ever do when he tells the parable of the rich fool. Now, Jesus' parables are just a wonderful source, and I think probably the greatest source of wisdom when it comes to money. They're written like an extended proverb. They highlight what it really means to be wise and foolish with money and what some of the consequences of those types of behaviours are. So I just want to read to you the parable of the rich fool uh, from Luke 12, starting at, chapter, at verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to in- divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge and arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all types of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I'll store my surplus grain. I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. See what Jesus is saying? That Jesus is saying that a life that's focused on building that share portfolio, accumulating investment properties, um, trying to build that perfect nest egg, pursuing those great pleasures and experiences is ultimately a foolish life. We're actually responsible for all the great things that God has given us. And there will be a time when we're actually asked to account for what God has provided. So then, what's the solution? How do we stop living a life that's focused on money and the accumulation of possessions? How do we ensure that we don't become greedy with the things that God's given us? I think Proverbs in the Bible tells us that generosity is the way that we're going to keep money and wealth in perspective. And I just want to show you two reasons why. Firstly, Proverbs, and then secondly, uh, the New Testament, Jesus' words um, spoken through Paul, um, to give us to be generous. Firstly, We're going to see in Proverbs that generosity actually leads to blessing. Let me read to you from uh, chapter 11, verse 24. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. People curse the one who holds grain, but they pray God's blessing on the one who's willing to sell. Whoever seeks good finds favour, but evil comes to the one who searches for it. 
those who trust in riches will, fi- will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. The first thing we see is that if we're generous with our time, our money, our resources, then it's actually us that benefit as we give. We actually receive more in return. See verse 24, the one who gives stuff away actually gets more back. Verse 25, being generous actually refreshes us. It's like the act of being generous actually gives us energy and joy that allows us to keep going with that generosity. But the flip side is also true. Have a look at verse 26. The one who keeps their possessions for themselves will be criticized and scorned by others. Your name will be mud. I don't know if you saw the uproar that happened this week when it was found that uh, a whole bunch of cattle feed was being exported overseas for profit rather than made available for our drought-stricken farmers. There was incredible criticism for that type of profiteering and um, rather than helping those around us. <clears throat> but a word of caution. As we think about receiving blessings when we are generous, it's important to note that in the New Testament, there's actually a paradigm shift when it comes to blessing. In the Old Testament, when the Proverbs were written, God's blessing was primarily, primarily a material one. Israel understood that the way God blessed them was that he provided for their physical needs. He provided safety, security, peace, resources. However, um, and this was primarily because their understanding of God's kingdom was that God's kingdom was an earthly one. But when Jesus came, he explained that God's kingdom was not just here and now, but actually stretched out into eternity. Therefore, God's blessings are not just the material things of this world, but more importantly, the very blessing of being in a relationship with God forever. If you want to know more about that, have a look at the Ephesians chapter 1. It explains in, in great um, detail what it means uh, to be blessed as a Christian now. So that's the first one. By uh, being generous, we actually receive ourselves. We are blessed. The second reason... Uh, for generosity is that God himself is extravagantly generous. Um, When Paul writes to the Corinthians in his second letter to them, he's encouraging them to be a generous people. Um, And in order to do so, he uses the example of a group of Christians in Macedonia who, though they themselves were very poor, they were going through extreme hardship They gave generously out of their poverty. And Paul goes on to explain what was the motivating factor behind this generosity. Let me read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. You see... Jesus had unimaginable wealth. The whole universe was him, yet he gave it up. He came to earth, he humbled himself, lived a righteous life, and then he died the death that we deserve on the cross so that we could be brought back into relationship with God. And in restoring our relationship with God, 
Jesus actually promised us an internal inheritance, riches in heaven that can never perish, spoil, or fade. God gave up his very own son to restore our relationship with him. There's no greater reason for us to be generous than when we reflect on God's generosity to us. So in conclusion, Proverbs and the words of Jesus provide great wisdom in how to live and how to think well about money. They teach us that hard work and wisdom will tend to lead to wealth. They teach us that wealth, however, will not endure. And they encourage us to pursue a relationship with God over money. And we see how that generosity is the characteristic that keeps us from being greedy and allowing money to be our idol. And that there's no better example of generosity than God's own love for us when he sent his son. God went to extraordinary lengths to restore our relationship with him. Surely God is better to trust than money. Surely God is better to obey than money. Surely God is better to love than money. Our friends, let's be a church that blesses each other, blesses our community with our generosity. Uh, will you pray with me now? Father, we confess we are not wise when it comes to money and the things that you've given us. Father, we confess that we so often use the good things you've given us for our own benefit. We're selfish with our money. We spend and save it for ourselves. Father, please forgive us for this. Father, help us have your perspective on money. Help us be a church that uses our money wisely. Help us be people that use our money wisely. Help us be people that are known for our generosity as we bless those around us. Amen.